Well, let's take our Bibles and let's open up this morning to the book of 2 Timothy chapter number 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. We began last week looking at the topic of sanctification from the Word of God. We learned last week that at the moment of salvation, we are sanctified in Christ so that our position before God is one of complete holiness as God sees us. And when we die or when we are caught up in the rapture, we're going to be perfectly sanctified when we see Christ having been freed from the presence of sin and transformed perfectly into the image of Christ. And we call that doctrine the doctrine of glorification. But between the moment of salvation and our future glorification, we cooperate in a process of living out our sanctification by consecrating ourselves to God and changing by growing to be more like Christ and by making sure that we are cleansed from our sins regularly. But today I want to kind of answer a question that might come up in the, in the discussion of sanctification. And that is, if we are declared to be holy in Christ, because of the blood of Christ, we are cleansed from our sins, then why doesn't practical sanctification, the living out of that, happen automatically? Why don't we just automatically do what is right all the time, Every time. And the answer is because we face several challenges to our sanctification. And that's the title of today's message, Challenges to Sanctification. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, look with me at verse number 19 to begin with. And I'll read down through verse 21. You follow along as we read. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are His... And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. In this portion of Scripture, the Apostle Paul communicates very clearly that Christians have a responsibility in this area of sanctification. A responsibility to purge ourselves, that is to cleanse ourselves so that we would be prepared, we would be fit to be used by God. And implied in this is that there are some obstacles to overcome, some things that are in our way that prevent us from just being automatically sanctified. Now, the first challenge we'll see today is sin in general. As Christians, we can and we still do sin. We break God's rules, whether knowingly or unknowingly, through sins of omission or sins of commission. And so the practice of sanctification involves putting off those sinful actions and attitudes so that we can put on Christ-like actions and attitudes. 
But then there's a second challenge, and that is the challenge of self-righteousness, an attempt to sanctify ourselves through our own efforts and works. And then finally, there is a challenge of stagnation, where we get comfortable where we are in our Christian life and with whatever progress we've already made, and we cease to grow in our Christ-likeness. But understand that from the moment you are saved until you meet Jesus, you should be becoming progressively more like Him in your thoughts and in your words, in your actions, in your attitudes, in every aspect of your life. Putting off sin and putting on Christ. Being renewed in the spirit of your mind so that your thinking continually changes, improving to be more consistent with God's way of thinking. And to do this, we must be aware of the challenges that are facing us so that we may, by God's grace, overcome the challenges to our sanctification. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray for your help as we examine your word today. We know that it contains everything that we need to be what you want us to be and to do what you want us to do. So I pray that our hearts would be receptive to the Holy Spirit's teaching that we would be submissive to His leading in our life. And Lord, that we would not take our sanctification for granted, but be intentional about obeying by Your grace so that we might be sanctified more and more. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The first challenge to sanctification I want you to look with me in Scripture at is the challenge of sins. The challenge of sins. Now notice here in our text that we've begun with that the Apostle Paul makes a statement in verse number 19. He says that everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Now if you call yourself a Christian, then you are literally naming yourself by the name of Christ. Because the word Christian means a little Christ. Christ Christ-ion is the way it was in the Greek, and intended initially, apparently, as an insult. But Christians, believers, said, you know what, we like that, we'll take it. And so, yes, we are trying to imitate Christ in all that we do. Well, Paul says, if you call yourself by Christ's name, then you must, to be consistent, you must depart from iniquity. As Christians, we can and we still do sin. All sin is a hindrance to sanctification. Remember our definition from last week that sanctification is being set apart from sin to serve God. That's the idea. So necessarily, sin will hinder us from being sanctified. Now let's talk about what sin is specifically. If we're going to understand this challenge, we need to make sure we're clear on this point. What is sin? Now, in both the Old and the New Testament, the word that is translated sin carries the idea of to miss the mark. So imagine you're playing a game of darts. And as you're playing the game, say that you're aiming for the bullseye, that little black dot in the very center of the board. Now, if you throw that dart and you land one millimeter away from that black dot, the bullseye, guess what? You missed the mark. And you can say, no, 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 I was really, really close. But it doesn't matter. You missed the mark. 
you were aiming for something and you didn't hit it. It doesn't matter if you miss it by a millimeter or a mile. If you don't hit it, you've missed the mark. Now that was the original idea of the word that was translated sin. And as we look into scripture, we get a fuller idea of God's meaning behind the word sin. But we take, because we understand that God has set a standard that we are being held to. And it's something that we should be aiming for. And that standard is the perfection and the holiness of God himself. That is the target that we must meet, that we must hit in order to earn God's full approval. Leviticus 20 and verse number 7, Sanctify yourselves therefore and be ye holy, for I am the Lord your God. 1 Peter 1, 15 through 16, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. For it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. The standard that we are aiming for is the perfect holiness of God. But there's a problem. No one except for the Lord Jesus Christ, no one that has ever lived on earth has ever hit that mark. They've never actually gotten the dart in that bullseye. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all missed that mark. We have all fallen short. We've missed the target of God's perfection in our thoughts, in our actions, in our words, in our attitudes, we have all failed. Now to make it abundantly clear that all men are sinners, God gave His law. The law was given so that, understand, not so that we could earn our salvation, as some people mistakenly think, that, if, that God gave the law so people would have a way to earn their salvation. That's not why God gave the law. Instead, God gave the law to prove that we cannot, to make it abundantly clear that everyone is a sinner. Romans 7 and verse number 7, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. So Paul there in his description of the role of the Old Testament law says that, that the law, and one of the things that it did, was to point out to everyone that we are all sinners. Oftentimes when you are witnessing to someone that you're going to have to start with this point to get them to understand that everybody is a sinner and what that means is that you've fallen short of God's perfection. And we use a lot of times the Ten Commandments to illustrate that. The Ten Commandments is a summary of, of those laws. There were many, many laws in the Old Testament, over 600 of them, but the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20 is a pretty good summary of those. And even in contained in that list, there are a number of commands that God gave that no one has ever perfectly kept. I like this one. Honor thy father and mother. Now, I was a really good kid growing up. My mom's over there like... <laughs> but I can tell you this, I did not perfectly honor my father and mother. There were times that I, were I was disrespectful, that I talked back, that I disobeyed. I did not keep that command perfectly. There's another one that says, Thou shalt not bear false witness. In Leviticus, it says, it's, it's said as thou shalt not lie. And you know what? There have been times that I've told lies. If I said otherwise, I'd be lying. 
There's a commandment that says, Thou shalt not covet. There have been many times that I've been dissatisfied with what God has given me, and I've wished that I had something else, something that somebody else had. And you know, those commandments prove that we are all sinners. We have all missed the mark of God's perfection. The law taught us that, that we were sinners. And in addition, the law gave us the basic understandings that we needed to prepare us to receive salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is God's solution to the sin problem. Galatians 3.24, Paul said that the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. So what is sin? It is missing the mark of God's perfection. It is proven as we look into the Bible and we see this is what God says to do and not to do. And we inevitably fall short of that standard. That's why sin is defined for us in 1 John 3 and verse 4 as the transgression of the law. That verse says, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. That's what sin is. And we all struggle with it. Now let me say this about sin. Intention has nothing to do with it. Some people will excuse sin by saying, well, I didn't mean to. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether you did it, quote-unquote, on purpose or not. In fact, you can be guilty of sin and not even know it. Turn to the book of Leviticus chapter 5 for a moment. There's a concept in the Old Testament law that I think is especially important in this discussion about sanctification. And it's a concept known as the sin of ignorance or sins of ignorance. In the Old Testament law, there were specific provisions given for instances where a person might be guilty of breaking God's law and not even know it. Now, Leviticus chapter 5, look at verse 15. This is just one. I believe it's chapter 4 that most of the chapter is dedicated to sins of ignorance and the sacrifices for sins of ignorance. But look at this verse from chapter 5, verse 15. If a soul commit a trespass and sin through ignorance in the holy things of the Lord, Then he shall bring for his trespass unto the Lord a ram without blemish out of the flocks with thy estimation by shekels of silver after the shekel of sanctuary for a trespass offering. What I want you to note here is that God did not say, well, if you you sin accidentally, that's okay. We'll just ignore it and pretend it didn't happen. No, what God is essentially saying is if you sin accidentally, if you sin through ignorance, it's still sin. And it still must be dealt with. And, and, and for some people, it's a barrier in their mind to continuing their growth and sanctification because they get to this point where they say, well, I didn't do it on purpose, so what's the big deal? It's a big deal because it's still a sin. If that action, if that attitude, if that thought, if that word, if that whatever it was violated God's standard, it is sin and it must be dealt with. Now, why why is it so important that we understand what God calls sin? It's because that over the years, the definition of sin has been changed by some to fit their preconceived notions. And some people have strayed away from God's definition of sin. For example, 
We, I mentioned John Wesley in uh, the opening this morning, uh, but there's a whole movement that was started from him known as the Wesleyan movement or the holiness movement. And one of the errors of that movement is that they redefined sin to mean simply an intentional action that is, done, that is not done in love. So first of all, they, they remove the component of, of God's perfect standard as it relates to all action, and they reduce it just to one standard, whether you did it lovingly or not. Second of all, they introduce the idea that it's only a sin if you do it on purpose. And so because of that, they then can justify in their teaching that you can achieve sinless perfection. Because what they say is you can get to the point where you don't sin on purpose. Well, I would argue that specifically, but in general, you've redefined sin, so that's wrong. So when somebody says it's only a sin if you do it on purpose, well then, by their definition, a person could be living a wicked life, and if they don't know any better, they're just as holy as the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. That, of course, is not the biblical teaching. We let God define His own terms, and we learn that sin is any transgression of God's law, regardless of intent... And furthermore, we learn that we are all guilty of sin, including Christians. Turn to 1 John chapter 1 with me. 1 John chapter 1. Christians are capable of sin and regularly commit it. Now we can wish till we are blue in the face that that was not the case, but it is. But I want to show you a passage of Scripture that makes it abundantly clear. 1 John chapter 1, let's begin reading verse 5. This then is the message that we have heard of Him and declare unto you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanseth us from all sin. Verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. Paul wrote the epistle, this epistle that we call 1 John, to believers so that they might know for sure that they're saved, so that they might be encouraged in the things of the Lord. And he, at the very beginning here, makes it plain that as a believer, there are one of two options that you can take. Either you can walk in darkness or you can walk in light. But know that if you walk in darkness, you're not fellowshipping with the Savior. And the blood of Jesus Christ is not presently, actively, at that moment, in practice, cleansing you from sin. And furthermore, if you say that you have no sin... That as a believer, I've gotten rid of all sin, I am perfect, I have achieved a level of holiness equal to that of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, you're a liar. In fact, you're making God a liar. And His Word is not abiding in you. You're not living according to the truth of God's Word because God's Word says that we are all sinners. Now, walking in fellowship with God means then dealing with that sin in our life. We're going to look more closely at that idea in the future, but for now, understand that the proper way for the Christian to deal with sin is found in verse number 9. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, I've heard people say that verse doesn't apply to Christians. I disagree. 
Because there are going to be many times where as Christians we sin and we need to deal with it by getting it right with God. The one who says that he has no more sin in him to deal with? No, I've, I've, I'm good. I've, I've arrived. I don't have any more sins that I have to worry about. The truth is not in him. He's deceived according to 1 John 1 and verse number 8. Until you get to heaven, there is still going to be sin in and around you that you're going to have to deal with. And that's going to be a challenge to your sanctification. But as you grow in sanctification, what should be happening is that the sin in your life should grow less and less. Sin should have less of a hold on you. Your, cha- your thinking should change to be more like Christ. But there will never come a point where you will be sinless. A large part of our sanctification involves identifying sins in our lives and getting rid of them. Ephesians 4.22, And that you put off concerning the former conversation the old man which is corrupt according to deceitful lusts. Romans 13.14, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. Developing a spirit-led awareness of sin in your life is crucial to sanctification. I'm not saying that we should live under the burden of guilt. Don't misunderstand. But we need to live with an awareness that, hey, I'm still on the journey of sanctification. I am still changing to be more like Christ. I remember the song I learned as a kid, He's Still Working on Me. Remember that song? Took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be. Why? Because he's still working on me. Now some of us need a lot more work than others. But all of us are still in this process dealing with the sins. And it's important that we develop by the grace of God that spirit-led awareness of sin. Because you cannot depend on the preacher to point out all your sin to you. I, that's one thing that I'm, I'm, I am glad that it is not my job to stand up here every week and point out every sin of everyone that's listening to me. Because I would never have time to get through my own, much less get to yours, you know. You can't depend on the preacher to happen upon your sin each week so that you can deal with it. If the only time you confess sin is when the preacher or the Sunday school teacher happens upon a particular sin of yours, then you are not growing in sanctification very much. This is something that should be happening in your life on a daily basis as you get alone with God, as you walk with God, that the Holy Spirit is constantly helping you to see the areas of your life that need to change, the sins that need to be confessed. Acknowledge the challenge of sin to your sanctification and constantly put those sins out of your life. Challenge number two that we need to understand so that we can overcome by the grace of God is the challenge of self-righteousness. Turn over to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Look with me at verse 20. This is the Sermon on the Mount, so Jesus is speaking, and He says, For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's an interesting statement. 
Jesus said, you have to be more righteous than the Pharisees to get into the kingdom of heaven. Well, in most people's mind, the Pharisees were the most righteous people there was. Because, I mean, these were the guys who were uber-disciplined in everything that they did. They gave tithes of all that they possessed, right down to mint, anise, and cumin. They fasted twice a week. Two days out of a week, they would not eat. That takes discipline. Everybody looked at them as the spiritual gurus, as the experts. And Jesus said, not good enough. Not good enough. you got to do better than that. Well, why is that? What was the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees? It was self-righteousness. It was giving an outward form of righteousness and an appearance of of righteousness, but it was dependent on one's ability to keep a rigid set of man-made rules and thus give that appearance of being sanctified and being holy. Luke 18 and verse number 9, it says there that he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous. That was the problem with the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. It was self-righteousness. It was trusting in self. Self-righteousness is a sin. We could lump it under the first category, but it's a particular sin that's a special challenge to our sanctification because of its tendency to trick us into thinking that we are being sanctified when in reality it's just a show. For those who are raised in church, this challenge can be especially difficult because we learn how to walk the walk and talk the talk. We learn how to give the appearance of being sanctified and being holy. We know what not to say. We know what to do. We know how to make people think we are a holy person. But that's not the same as being truly holy and truly sanctified. You can get really good at knowing what to do and what to say to make people think that you are a good Christian. But the danger is that you're doing it to be seen of men. You're doing it for show. Doing the right thing for the wrong reason is still wrong. Showing up to church is good. You ought to do it. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. But if the only reason you did it is to be seen of men, you did it for the wrong reason. Avoiding unholy conversations. Using words and talking, uh, discussing topics that do not honor God, avoiding that, that's, that's good. But if the only reason you refrain from that kind of talk is because you don't want to get called out by somebody else, you're doing it for the wrong reason. See, the Pharisees were all about what other people saw and what other people thought. That's all they cared about. All they cared about was pleasing themselves by getting the praise of others. And so Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1, "...take heed that you do not your alms to be seen of men." Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. John 12, 43 describes the attitude of the scribe and the Pharisees when it says that they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. I'm a third, as far as I know, I'm a third or fourth generation Christian at least. And I can testify from my own life and the lives of many that I grew up with that there is a grave danger in being a second, third, and fourth generation Christian. And that is you grow up in a Christian home, you grow up going to church, and you learn how to play the part. But it's not real. It's not in your heart. It's self-righteousness. 
You see, self-righteousness is, uh, has to do with your motives, why you do what you do, and so it's a matter of the heart. But some people genuinely believe, and they are deceived, but they genuinely believe that as long as you maintain an appearance of righteousness, then you are righteous. It's one and the same to them. But that's not the case. Jesus called the Pharisees whited sepulchers. They look great on the outside, pretty as can be, but inward, inwardly they're full of dead men's bones. They talk a good talk, but their heart is far from God. Matthew 15, 8, he said, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. It's not enough just to talk a good talk. It's not enough to be able to give an appearance of holiness. You have to be right with God in your heart. Self-righteousness is really living according to the flesh and not according to the Spirit's leadership. It seems counterintuitive, but you can do everything right on the outside and still be living a carnal life controlled by the impulses of your flesh because you're doing it for selfish reasons. Self-righteousness is a huge challenge to sanctification. The only righteousness that we should pursue is the righteousness of Christ being manifest in our life through the work of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what Paul said in Philippians chapter 3. In fact, turn there with me. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 9. Here was Paul's desire. He said, And be found in Him, that is in Christ, not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Paul had lived the life of a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was an expert on self-righteousness. And you know what he said? He said, I'm done with that. I don't want that. I don't want my own righteousness. I want the righteousness of Christ. Be aware of the challenge of self-righteousness. And then number three, you need to be aware of the challenge of stagnation. Look in the same chapter, Philippians 3, down to verses 13 and 14. Paul continues his testimony. And he says there, Be, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The longer you are saved, the greater the temptation will become for you to become complacent about continued growth and sanctification. You will be tempted to think that you've learned all that you need to learn that you've confessed all that you need to confess, that you've changed all that you need to change. Now, few people would rarely go so far as to say that they are perfectly like Christ and utterly sinless. But many people think that they've come far enough and they've done all they need to do. The testimony of Paul helps us to dispel that myth because he makes a powerful statement in verse 13. He says, I count not myself to have apprehended. I don't think anybody in here would claim 
that they have achieved the level of spirituality that the Apostle Paul achieved. I don't think anybody would honestly say, oh yeah, I'm there. So for him to say, I have not apprehended yet. In other words, what he's saying is, I haven't arrived. I've still got some ground to cover. I'm not where I should be yet. For him to say that ought to cause each of us to stop and take note and realize that no matter how far we have come in our Christian life, there is still farther that we need to go. No matter how much we have changed to become like Christ, we're not perfectly like him yet. And we need to be continuing our progress. Paul wanted to keep working for the Lord. He keep, wanted to keep changing, to keep growing. I like the imagery here. He said, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before. What's in the past is in the past. We can thank God for it and we can learn from it. But what we need to do is live for God in the present as we make progress toward our future goal of glorification. Sanctification is progressive. It does not happen in an instant. Some people teach that. Uh, many of the uh, Pentecostal and charismatic um, uh, theologians teach that there comes a point where you have a crisis experience, experience and because of that crisis you become sinlessly perfect. It's not biblical. It's, a, it's, it's progress, it's gradual, it's something that hope, happens little by little over and over again, being changed to be more like Christ until the day that we will be perfectly like Him when we see Him. 1 John 3, 2, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. We've been studying 2 Peter in our Wednesday night Bible study. We've learned that, that Peter had a special burden for seasoned believers, that they would continue to grow that they would not plateau, that they would not become stagnant. He said in 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now let me say this. Don't confuse stagnation with satisfaction. And here's what I mean. It is possible to be satisfied and be fulfilled with your walk with God and still desire to grow. In fact, the only way to experience joy and fulfillment and satisfaction in the Christian life is to walk with God as you should. But that satisfaction does not come from knowing that we've arrived. It comes from knowing that we are progressing by the grace of God and through the Holy Spirit's work in us. It's an attitude that says, I have not yet become all that I should be, but by God's grace, I'm not what I used to be. And it's as we live out sanctification that we find that fulfillment, that satisfaction in our walk with God. Now, what causes stagnation in our spiritual life? Well, in addition to just the the familiarity that comes with being saved for a long period of time. There's another thing, another danger that would pull us into this spiritual stagnation, and that is the sin of comparison. A lot of people become stagnant in their Christian life because they get to a point where they've looked around at others and they've convinced themselves that because they're better than others in their thinking, that they're good enough. Well, two things are wrong there. First of all, you are judging by the wrong standard. 
The standard of our sanctification is not how good we are compared to someone else. The standard of our sanctification is what we are compared to Christ. Christ is the standard, not anyone else. Look, you can find someone who, in your opinion, is worse than you anytime you want to. All right? Just watch the news. Okay? You'll find somebody that you're like, well, I'm better than them. And you'll be thinking, you can think that in your mind. But that's wrong. Because that's the wrong standard. When I was in uh, Bible college for a time, I installed kitchen cabinets uh, uh, to provide for our family while, while I was in school. And I remember on one particular job, I was installing cabinets. And, um, and the, uh, what I would do is I would start on a wall. I would kind of lay it out. And on this particular kitchen wall, I was installing the wall cabinets first, the upper cabinets. And uh, so I had, had measured everything out, made sure it was going to fit. And I started on one side and uh, began hanging the kitchen cabinets left to right. And as I went down the wall, I was using my level, of course, and I was making sure that everything was level and plumb as I'm going along. And I get this whole wall done, about eight or ten feet, and I step back and I look at it, and it's all leaning. And I'm like, what in the world? In this particular style of cabinet I was installing, it was very evident if everything was not straight. And so I'm looking at this, and it's just, it's obvious that it was wrong. Well, my first thought was the walls are out of plumb. That was very common. Very common. I've, I, I ran into that all the time. So I put the level on the wall. No, the walls are right. So then I put the levels on the cabinets again. And I'm checking them for level and for plumb and every which way. And every one of them is reading correct. And I'm thinking to myself, something's wrong here because it says that it's right but when I step back and look at it I know it's not well my dad many years ago taught me a trick when using a level there's one way that you can test the level to make sure that it is reading accurately it's a very simple test uh, let's say you have a three-foot level you take that three-foot level and you put it down on a surface and you see where the bubble is in the middle all right, if it's perfectly level, if it's a little off, it doesn't matter, but you take note of where that bubble is. Now, to check the level to see if it's accurate, just pick it up and flip it around and put it right back down in the same place. If the bubble is in the same place each time, then the level is working correctly. But if the level is not working correctly, the bubble will have moved. And so after probably half an hour of me trying to figure out what's going on here, it occurred to me, you know, I remember the other day, I dropped my level getting it out of the car. I wonder if the level's messed up. So I picked the level up and I set it down, noted where the bubble was, flipped it around, put it back down in the same place, and sure enough, the bubble had shifted. The level was wrong. And because I was using a level that was inaccurate, the entire wall of cabinets ended up out of level. The standard was wrong, so the result was wrong. And when it comes to our sanctification, when we compare ourselves to others, we're using the wrong standard. And it could, it could unfortunately, I should say, lead us to think we're okay. We're good. I've grown all I need to grow. I've, I've learned all I need to learn. I'm, I'm, I've got this under control I'm sanctified. But Christ is our standard. Second of all, not only are we using the wrong standard when we compare ourselves to others, 
but we're coming to the wrong and a distorted and a deceived conclusion. Because the fact of the matter is, you're not as good as you think you are, even compared to those other people. Because what you're comparing is what you can see on the outside. You're going back to that sin of self-righteousness and saying, well, I've got all these things figured out, so I'm good. And you're forgetting that it's not about what you can see only. It's about even what you can't see. The standard that we to measure ourselves to is Christ and Christ alone. Ephesians 4.13 says, Till we all come into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Understand that sanctification is not an incidental part of the Christian life. It is the essence of the Christian life. Every day from the moment of salvation until our future glorification, we should be changing to be more like Christ. Living out our sanctification by separating from sin, by serving God better and better, by changing to be more like Jesus in how we think and speak and act. But that process is a challenge. One, because of our sin. Two, because of our tendency to self-righteousness. Three, because sometimes we're tempted to become stagnant and quit growing. Lord willing, next week we're going to get into the details of the components of sanctification and how we make progress, how God works in our life. But understand today that sanctification is not just going to happen automatically. You've got to be aware of these challenges and by the grace of God overcome them that you might grow to be more like Christ. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you for the word that you've given to us the instruction that we find in it, the encouragement, and the conviction. And Lord, as we consider where we are in our walk with you today, I pray that you would help us to be able to see clearly the challenges that we are facing. And if there's any, anything in particular that is hindering our sanctification, that Lord, you would reveal that to us, that we might, we might confess it and we might continue our growth unhindered. And I pray these things in Jesus' name, with heads bowed and eyes closed. The Christian life is supposed to be a life of fulfillment and satisfaction. But for many Christians, they find that it's more frustration. And often that's the case because they are not growing to be more like Christ. They're not living out their sanctification. They have encountered the obstacles and they've stopped their forward progress. And so they are frustrated. Because God's not going to let us be content and let us be joyful and let us be satisfied in our state of sinfulness. And I want you to be encouraged this morning that if, if that has been true of you, if there's been more frustration than satisfaction, I want to encourage you that can change. The Holy Spirit wants to work in your life so that you experience that fulfillment and satisfaction regularly. But you have a part. And that is obedience and surrender to the Holy Spirit's working in your life. Maybe you have come face to face with the challenge of sin. 
Maybe it's a particular sin that you know it's hindering you in your walk with God. You don't have to wait till next week. You can deal with it right now today. Go to God and confess it. Get it right with Him. Maybe the Lord has convicted you about self-righteousness today. You thought you were being sanctified, but in reality, it's all been a show. You've been doing it to please yourself and for the praise of men. You need to get that right. Because that's not sanctification. Or maybe it's just stagnation for you today. Maybe you've just become complacent about where you are. You know, if God has worked in your life today, you need to respond to Him. 